0: I hate this town I hate this fucking town I don't even want to be in this town
1: Hello and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop punk and emo pop retrospective. And as always, the nagging flash of insight you're also desperate to avoid. And with me, other mountain goats lyrics again.
2: Hi there. Uh, Darnell. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: yeah, I could do this, this
1: intro joke like probably 10 more times, but I'm, I'm not sure my co hosts. Well, my co-host, Singular today, could could survive. Can you survive, Sybil?
2: I can survive, but I don't know that I am able to volley your serve back. Every time it's gonna be like Here, I'll I'll be Adam for a bit. I'm gonna just look down at my feet like Patrick Starr every time it comes past me.
1: Uh well. Today, we're back in 2003, because this is the podcast that we've decided to make after regretting it, like, two weeks into the project, and uh, we're gonna talk about So Long Astoria by The Ataris. This is gonna be a difficult album to talk about, because, like, it's 13 times the same song. I like it, I enjoy this album, I think it's very well crafted for what it is, it is also 13 times the same song. <laughs>
2: I'm also positive on it. Uh, I don't have a lot of notes about it musically, but lyrically, there's plenty to discuss. Lyrically, there is a lot. These
1: dudes are know their audience, and not in a, like, I don't know, maybe in a cynical way, but in a cynical way that still works.
2: I don't know how... Oh, I was worried you were going to say they know their audience in the biblical sense, like so many <laughs> pop-punk bands.
1: No... I haven't done extensive research today because uh, it's been a whole day and a whole week and a whole month, but I don't think, like, I cannot see any controversy on Wikipedia, and let me quickly search for the Atari's allegations on
2: Google. I saw some mention that Chris Rowe is a bit of an asshole, but that's it.
1: I mean, being an asshole, if I'm a bit of an asshole, It's fine. I'm decidedly a bit of an asshole. Former Ataris ar- ar- Bassist ar- arrested in alleged $27 million real estate scam. Okay, that's fine, though.
2: As long as it wasn't on poor people.
1: Michael Davenport faces 30 years in prison convicted of charges of wire and mail fraud from telemarketing scheme.
2: Ooh, okay, that might have been little people.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, what you gonna do, yeah.
2: Throw the book at him?
1: Uh, I guess this is an impromptu obligatory. One of this dude has been uh, allegedly arrested for uh, a scam shit. And, yeah, again, I did not, sadly, as much as I enjoy spending time on research. um, And this is a band with a lot of history. We may go go a bit more in detail next time we encounter them. But I didn't go much deep in history today. Um, But basically what you need to know is that the Ataris have basically, by 2003, have basically been making uh, music for like... Almost a decade. They started doing stuff in 96. This is their first record. They've been on Fat Wreck records. They sort of do- have done the whole indie thing for like a long while. They are from Anderson, Indiana, which Sim- Sybil will tell us something about.
2: Anderson, Indiana is a just flat out tiny friggin county that is slowly dying in the middle of the heartland where the population is as of 12 years ago down to 56,000 people which is down roughly 20,000 from their 70s numbers and it's probably still dropping because if you know about a certain type of small city in the midwest america you know exactly what this is i do not know but okay there is nothing that is driving anyone there, and so slowly as birth rate or people move elsewhere for opportunities, everything shrinks back, and the biggest employers become the grocery stores and the Walmarts, and slowly it just shrinks down, and maybe you have less health care and maybe you have less people and
1: I mean you don't have healthcare anyway in America. What what do you care?
2: Well, no, I mean, like, it's literally you might have just a single doctor at a certain point rather than a hospital. Also, uh, it's telling that the notable people section of Anderson, Indiana's Wikipedia page is um depressing. <laughs> like, this is not a joke. OK, we've got a couple of singers. uh, We've got Chris Rowe of the Ataris. We've got Sanity Patty. We've got Len Walston. But then... It starts becoming nothing but crimes or uh, people who left to go play sports elsewhere. Orville Hodge, embezzler. Uh, Lowell Amos, convicted black widower murderer. I I could keep going. There's a lot of these. (laughs) True crime podcasts are the best thing that this town has produced.
1: Um, What are we talking about? The Ataris, they've been making music at this point for like almost a decade, their lineup changed a bunch. The only constant throughout their history is their, like, singer, uh, Christopher Rowe, singer and guitar player. But at this point, we have Marco Pena, who sort of, like, was in the band and left the band, and that was in the band again, on, um, on the other guitar. Uh, the aforementioned, apparently convicted real estate scammer, Mike Davenport, on bass, And Chris Knapp on drums.
2: It should also be noted that uh, while Pena is on some of the album sessions, he is no longer touring with the band by this point in time, replaced by John Colora.
1: So Long Astoria is their major label debut with Columbia Records, produced by a bunch of people. It's a big success, especially with Boys of Summer doing a lot of numbers and charting on the top 100 on Billboard. And and yet, yeah, this is basically their big break. But of Summer is actually sort of an accidental single. They wanted My Reply as their second single after In This Diary, but w- whatever K Rock is that the radio station? They started just playing the song, and it became a single.
2: Hmm. They also got a boost off of being a bonus track on the Orange County soundtrack, which was basically the harder rock version of the Garden State soundtrack in terms of pushing artists in the 2000s. That is... I'm not well, wrong.
1: You're not wrong, but <laughs> comparing anything to Garden State in in 2022 is... Uh... It's not a flattering comparison at any point.
2: Look, that soundtrack did influence a lot of people by showing them stuff they'd never heard of. All because the guy from Scrubs just could not get it up unless he was in the middle of any film he touched.
1: I I, I, I do actually, as a fucking dark, I do actually still remember the, um, that song from the, the movie. The... Um...
2: I'm gonna be honest, I have no idea.
1: It's the song from the record, the one, the, the big the big song from the movie. It's
2: um. The... Do, 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 don't Panic by Coldplay? It's Caring is Creepy by the Shins. I've never listened to The Shins. The only two people. There's four people on this record that I have heard before Coldplay, Zero Seven, Thievery Corporation, and Simon and Garfunkel.
1: You don't know Nick Drake?
2: No. Should I? Yes. I just received a text from the other room going, you have 100% heard the shins. I've played them for you at least a dozen times. <laughs> okay, so five. I know five bands on that soundtrack.
1: Um, yeah, let's talk about this record. Where are my notes? I heard my notes. And we start with In This Diary. No, we don't start with In no, This Diary. No, we definitely st- we, st- we start with me having scrolled my notes too low. Uh, we start with the title track, So Long Astoria, in So Long Astoria by The Ataris. And... Um, This is the best song of the record.
2: Well, this is the second best song of the record. Okay, I was going to say, I don't know that I would go with best song. It's definitely a strong opener. It's a really good
1: opener. I think structurally this is the most interesting song. It doesn't even really have a chorus. Like, the thing that's closer to a chorus is the ending. It's almost like an anime opening. It's beautiful that way. And, yeah, no, this is great. This, this is just like song about, you know, nostalgia for your city and having got out of the city. It's like, it's good that I got out from there, but also like nostalgia which cannot relate. My teen years were very different from the standard American teen years, but I get it on a narrative sense how this is a satisfying narrative to present in a song, and it's pretty great. The ending is just like a great opening to the record and um, structurally does cool things.
2: That's pretty good shit. Pretty good shit. I think it is a strong opener. I enjoy the sound. As we mentioned, a lot of the tracks have a very similar backing structure. So it's not like we can really go, this is the guitar-focused one. This is the one with piano, although there are a couple with piano, etc., etc. The big difference is that I think lyrically, and I think this will hold through most of the record, this is a band that is interested not in just saying, with a couple of exceptions, hey, the past was so good, but it's interested in talking about the past. It's looking back on events instead of just going, God, wasn't it great to be there? And sometimes they come to different conclusions than I do. Like, we said that we would never fit in, would really we were just like them. Does rebellion ever make a difference? Uh, yes, yes, I think it does. I think it's a very boomer-brained thing to suggest that you will never be any different from the prior generation. You're just going to grow into that. We're seeing quite a lot of that now.
1: Uh... It- I feel anything that I can say in reply to this would be beyond the scope of this podcast, because people are sort of weird. That is my comment on this. People are weird, and some people of, well, of my generation, not of your generation, you're like a a boomer, too. Yeah, Um, that's fine. (laughs) Sorry. That's (laughs) fine. (laughs) You know, um... But yeah, some of the people of my generation are weird and use use modern progressive shit to get very boomery. And uh, yeah, I don't think it's necessary that that everyone ends up like this, but I'm just saying that even people who think they are not ending up like being boomery are fundamentally, on a philosophical level, becoming very boomery. (laughs)
2: I think some of that is folks who don't know any better hearing people who sound smarter than they are and trying to just copy their arguments. But also, I think there's a straight-up sea change in some things like the fact that there was a giant generational shift here and that there is no longer quite so much lead in the air.
1: Isn't there much lead in the air anymore in America?
2: Uh, no, there was a giant move away from... Leaded gasoline, which has caused a lot of generational shifts. Oh, I—I I mean, I know that here it was. I just
1: wasn't expecting for that to be the thing in America. Sorry, that's just me being b- 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 state, uh, nationist. It's not racist because Americans are not raised. But I had made assumption based on the capitalistic and regulatory nature of your nation that
2: you wouldn't have that. <laughs> Sorry. No, I feel like it's a reasonable thing to suspect that maybe we would all start going and we've decided to bring back the Maypole dance, except it's a lead pipe and you lick it. So I get it. What were we talking about? (laughs) Uh, We're talking about the title track. Like I said, 90% of this and a lot of the lyrics on this record, I think works for me because we have a band that are in their mid-20s. This feels like a post-college conversation about nostalgia instead of you're fresh out of high school maybe you're still just in it and these songs come a little bit more mature than a lot of things we cover it's a nice tone i think that's why i enjoyed this record so much
1: it's interesting because it's uh it's definitely oriented at sort of a teen audience by but by, by doing it through the lens of like a more adult like looking back kind of things it sort of reaches across in terms of appeal it is pretty cool and it's very well crafted for what it is. Again, this dude can write a song. It can write a song. I'm not, I
2: didn't miss book. It can write a single song, but it can write it. Also, we do have to mention the elephant in the room, which is a fat kid doing the truffle shuffle, because this album and this track are named after the Goonies. I have never watched the Goonies. Okay. You can talk about the Goonies if you want. I don't give a shit about The Goonies. The best part of The Goonies is the video game.
1: I never watched The Goonies, and as I'm growing bitter towards how everything from the 80s is being recycled and put on a pedestal, I will probably never watch The Goonies, even I know that it's probably like a fine movie. It's
2: perfectly okay. The video games are better. Second second place is the Cindy Lauper theme song. So the movie is a firm third in The Goonies canon.
1: Welcome to our podcast. Gotta get out of this stock rankings where we rank things in brands.
2: I'm going to be honest. If you asked me to just do a special and you gave me a franchise, I would absolutely go hard for that.
1: Uh, let's rank
2: genders. Okay. Uh, first, First off, gonna just say, very top, gender fluid, always excellent, always the king, always can get it next well, up well we're king gonna... king flash, queen slash monarch okay monarch yes I suppose I do have to and this is where you insert static and cut back to anything else Takeoffs and landings. Uh, This,
1: again, it hits with sort of an understated chorus when the chorus is not really a big thing. There is one chorus, but it's not super big. And I feel it works less than in the last song, but it keeps establishing that this record, aside from the joke that this is always the same song, it has a very consistent tone, which I feel is what makes a lot of this work. We will get that later with my reply in the ballads. But a big reason why I am sort of against a lot of ballads in the context of an album with pop punk record is that pop punk artist one second will be like talk you know, will be like shit talking every fucking woman in the world and the other second will have the nostalgic please come back to me ballad. And those things don't flow well into each other, into an album. I'm not saying that an album needs to have k I'm not saying that an album needs to pretend that it's a reality narrative, but you need a tonal and thematic throughline generally through an album. And I feel a lot of, like, the pop-punk ballad sort of, like, breaks, break that immensely when they go from their fan songs to the ballad. This definitely is definitely a record that has a big thematic true line in nostalgia big thematic true line in looking back at the past so when it uses those themes to go into ballads and into like themes like that it it makes a lot more sense even if it's not like the ballads on this record are that much better than um and I should have done all of this talk when we get to my reply which is the ballad so but yeah it's not like my reply is better than any other ballad in pop punk but it's more thematically meaningful here
2: anyhow take off and landing it's the the last song but different uh here is where one of my problems with this starts to come in a i think that this is a crew who grew up in a much more well-off family than I did because I think I took maybe two airplane trips over 18 years and this is very yeah, we're just doing this all the time we're business travelers kind of vibes and two (sighs) I feel most songs on this record could shave 30 to 60 seconds
1: I I don't think that is incorrect. I think the first song is very much very tight in its length. I think everything coming after that, yeah, I could see that. I'm not necessarily it's not a huge problem for me, but I could see that.
2: This does not need to be a four minute song. I feel like a big thing you could do is either cut one repetition or a solo, depending on track, and you might be you might be okay. But the these are some Some of the longer tracks really drag ass.
1: I, I did not feel this with this track, but I get how one could. I think this the the most only problem with this track is that it's not that different from so long Astoria, and yeah, less tight, definitely, and but even like structurally not just lengthwise. But it's fine. Um I don't know about uh I don't know about uh the, the airplane motif because it might not even just be nostalgia it might just be like we're on tour and we're flying it it never specified really as far as I remember hmm. it's just a generic track about planes hashtag generic track about planes
0: all the nights we stayed up talking listening to air
2: Next up, speaking of nostalgia, is the first single off the album, In This Diary. Oh,
1: this song is great. This song is probably the best song of the record. You know, I think I'll give it that, yeah. It's a really, like, very thoughtful and, like, simple... I think it's... the, the point of the song is that it's not even complex or, like, artsy. This is just, like, very down-to-earthly written, very accessible teen nostalgia sort of looking back at like the, you know, formation years in someone's life and it's just so well done. Just like the chorus being grown up is not as much fun as growing up repeated over and over. These are like the best days of our lives. It's just like that kind of like sort of an easy target because you're literally hitting the widest audience possible being like, don't you remember being a kid? But it's also like, Okay, that is just well done. It is just like well crafted for what it is, and yeah, this this rules. This song, uh, as someone who never really had a proper growing up age because of a lot of shit that happened in my life, which I will not go through, um, this songs make me made me cry a bit because it's like, oh, I never had this shit, but
2: I get why you would look nostalgically at it. It's A track that I think does a nostalgic glimpse in a way that is not singularly regressive. I think especially if you compare it to Boys of Summer, which is aiming for the same niche and just tripping all over its own dick the entire time, this is a much stronger version of that same theme. I don't agree, I've never agreed with being young is the best period of your life. It's all downhill from there. That's a vibe I hate. But that's it. That's, you know, that's just someone else had a different life than I did. And whatever. If that's the way you choose to look at things, that's not the way I do. This is a lot of fun. Choruses and sing-alongs right now is all that matters. All the nights we stayed up talking and quoting lines from all those movies that we love. Yeah, no. That's being young, that's thinking that you are the center of the world, and it's just a very nice look back, and it has a good sense of energy, like not a lot of tracks on this album do. This is very punk and speedy, and at no point do I find myself going, ah, you phoned this bit in. No real repetition other than the chorus. Quite good. Yeah, this is also like probably the most pop track on the record. This and Boys of
1: Submers. These are the most like pop structury songs. They're not they're a bit speedier, they're not balladier, they're not slower, they're they are a bit more positive tone-wise. Like a lot of this record has this very like, not just nostalgic, but also like sort of like not sad, but like, you know, a bittersweet kind of tone to it. These two are like very. Very positive in their outlook, and um, yeah, this is, this is a really fucking good song. I do lo- love this song.
2: And I think that's why it stands out, is that it's not mired in the same almost monotone space a lot of other tracks on this could be.
1: Talking about a monotone space...
2: Yes, let's, let's completely fail to... Uh, hit the landing and trip over a rake with my reply. Step closer to-
1: I I don't hate it. I think that musically, this works in the context of the album. I actually am not sure about the lyrics. I haven't looked at the lyrics for this one, which I should have. Um, This does a thing, I I was always saying, this does a thing that a lot of other songs on records, on records that we liked, failed to do, which is the Aerosmithie ballad. Mm -hmm. But it sort of works musically. Like, it doesn't stand out as being... A lot of the times where Ben tried to do this kind of ballad, it sort of really stands out as being like, okay, you did not put a lot of effort in it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't really fit with the rest of the record. And this feels like it fit with the rest of the record. I think this is fine. I don't. It's not going to be my favorite song of the record, because it's not, but I don't know. It does feel heartfelt, it does feel sort of like... ...fitting with the rest of the themes, and musically it sort of has a consistency with everything else that's going around it. Especially
2: with that sort of nostalgic, sort of like, sad, bittersweet tone. All right. Now do you want to know what it's about? No, but you will tell me anyway. It is, according to some statements from the band a song written as a response to a letter from a fan who was trying to fight for their life in the hospital at the time. I don't know if they lived or not. There is no follow-up to the story that I saw, given that this is apocryphal from... They were saying this on a tour. Whatever.
1: I don't I don't think there's a lot wrong with that, personally.
2: But okay. No, no, it's just... It falls under my rule of I will not mock a song... That's heartfelt. That's about someone who passed close to the ba- etc. like, so, yeah, okay. This this gets uh, the slight shield of immunity. I think it's a little weaker. Again, I also share your general disdain for ballads, but it's not the worst I've heard. And the ballads can be great. Pop punk bands don't tend to make great ballads. Yes. This is in the stronger tier of the genre.
1: Mm-hmm. I, again, for me, it's like even just because it's on this record and it makes sense on this record. It's not in the middle of a Blink album. It's not like after like a fast moving, just like punk song. This is fitting with the tone. This is sort of like a melancholic song that's trying to be positive about things that are sad. And it fits with the theme of the record.
2: How about we bring this into the next song, Unopened Letter to the World?
1: If I die
0: tomorrow
2: So, this song seems to be a reference to old Emily Dickinson letters because, god damn it, we're deep.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Anyway, uh, yeah, it's also a bit of a downer track. However, uh, I do like the abrupt climax, which fits with the message of the song. That's about it. If I die tomorrow, will this song live on forever? And it basically cuts out mid-note. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, other than that, it's a very short song. That's a literary reference. Ta-da! Every every song that this is just my dumb
1: brain. And again, if you've been, if the audience have been listening to this, the three people who have been listening to this podcast. Uh, we'll, un- we'll know that I-, I already made this comment. My brain just does weird association. Every time a song asks if I died tomorrow or if I died, the only thing that ever comes to mind for me is, the, um, is that lyrics from a- a- of Rock. Uh, d- I think it's from Darks. It's just like, if I died in my apartment today, would the cat eat my face or something like that? I did not remember it word for word, but yeah.
2: My brain just goes to that. I always think of that except it's Garfield.
1: <laughs> do you Do you live with Garfield?
2: No, I just I just think that if I died tomorrow Garfield would definitely eat part of my face and then get really bored and probably start calling for pizza.
0: I remember waiting
2: The saddest
1: song. I hate the title. (laughs) I hate the title. (laughs) I hate the title so much. I don't think the song is bad. I hate the title of the song. You don't just call a song the saddest song. It feels sarcastic.
2: Especially because it's just a missing dad song, and they're not talking about, you know... They don't make it clear if dad died or just left them, but that's it. There's a video for this, which is just kids wandering around a generic neighborhood.
1: Yeah, I mean, the song is fine. Like, for what it is, it's perfectly fine. This dude know how to craft the song. I don't know why they have the sort of post-ironic title, the saddest song.
2: I mean, for not quite being an emo band, they definitely have a lot of the light novel title syndrome on this album.
1: Well, they're more of a... They're more of a, like, the calling, like, that kind of, like, pop, sad pop rock band than an emo band. I wouldn't even call a lot of this pop punk, honestly, like, this is sad radio pop rock, but actually well-crafted. <laughs> um, It actually, it's like, it, it doesn't, it's not cheesy, a lot of it, honestly, is the lyrics, the lyrics have a good thematic true line, and most of them feel really heartfelt and fairly well constructed. But yeah, this does remind me of the calling, which generally is a is you know a minus on this podcast. Is something that I say to say that something is bad. But yeah, they take that kind of like sort of sad radio arc and make it work in a way. So yeah, this is good shit.
2: I'll go wherever you will go. Yeah, they. It's not
1: as cheese like structurally and sun wise. It reminds me of that, but it's it, without the cheese, right? This feels like actually sort of down to earth and heartfelt in what they talk about. Parmesan free the calling, uh, which is ironic because I love in food. I do love cheese. Cheese is great, but in music, but yes, you're
2: no. you're a white person. We know that we all have a weakness to cheese. Yeah, <laughs> cheese is great. That that has been a joke for over 30 years, to my knowledge. Fair, but generally, cheese is great. Cheese is pretty good. Cheese is basically the singular reason I'm not actually vegan. Fair, fair, fair. Oh, you can eat pizza. I can. Very specific types.
1: Well, meatless types, which if you come to Italy, that's like most of the types. Meat and pizza is, like, a very American thing.
2: It depends on what kind of parlor you go to here, because there are some places where you get three varieties. Cheese, pepperoni, and supreme, which is a lot of meats and maybe some veggie.
1: Yeah, no, I know. I'm just saying, meat and pizza is, like, a very, like, anglophone word kind of pizza. Okay. It's not, like, you get pizza with meats in Italy, but it's not really, you know... The
2: standard as long as it's not a bean dinner ass British pizza, I don't care. British pizza is just American pizza, but wrong. British pizza is American pizza that you buried at the pet cemetery.
1: Look, I've ate pizza from a chippy, and it's fine. I ate pineapple pizza from a chippy because they were like, "Buy a pizza, get one free, but we choose the one free that you get. That's okay, yeah, and I, I don't pay that. I don't I'm not one of those people who thinks that pineapple on pizza is like horrible. It's
2: fine. Speaking of things I hate, how about we talk about Summer 79? <laughs> So, here is the thing. Mm-hmm. This is where we start getting into that thing I was talking about on in this diary, where it is nostalgia that you have no connection to. It's just, God, wasn't the past better? My dude was two in the summer of '79. I looked. <laughs> Fair. We got to live it up one last time before it's over. We'll make history tonight. You weren't sneaking into the drive-in. You are just straight up making up a fake history that you think is cool because you heard it from the older people around you. You weren't cruising down Pacific Coast Highway listening to We Are The Champions. You were not trying to get a girl to notice you unless you were putting a frog down her shirt at daycare. Absolutely F off with this. That is fair, but also the the chorus of this song is fun. I don't think so, because as someone who was never a huge Queen fan, this is A, one of the most California songs I've ever heard, and I say that half-damning myself, and B, this is the second most boomer-brained track on the entire album, just celebrating a bunch of shit this dude didn't live through.
1: That is fair. I mean, I think musically this is fun, um, but I do understand all the critics. And I also, I have to admit that I, at some point in my life as a kid, I did own the whole discography of Queen.
2: I've seen a modern Queen live, and let me tell you, it, there are some good songs, but boy, that is an over-celebrated band. I... I will not go too bad
1: for Queen nowadays, but it has been a very important band for my, like, musical formation, if you want to use very pretentious term. Like, I feel listening to Queen shaped a lot of my taste today. I haven't listened, like, I haven't actually listened to a Queen record in, like, a long while. And it's not something that I will purposefully put on today. Mm-hmm. Especially the early stuff is, like, sort of cool for the time. Like Quint Quintu Quintu was like Quintu was like good shit. But
2: yeah. Queen is arena rock in a way that doesn't work for me, the prog rock bitch.
1: The song is good. I think the song music is good. Summer seventy nine. I get w I get all of the critiques of the themes in it. This is a solid song though. So that's good drumming
2: on it. That's part of why I'm upset with it, because it is a pretty solid little track. I think this could have been a fourth single. I just hate everything about the writing here.
1: The, and that is fair. So then in the next one, the, the, the episode where the hero dies in this one. Oh no, Goku! every episode of Dragon Ball.
2: Remember when that dude stayed dead rather than raise his kids? I do. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I do. I, he came back for a martial arts tournament, though. Which is arguably more
2: insulting.
1: <laughs> yes! <laughs> <sighs> uh, well, this record is long. I enjoy it,
2: but this record is long. Not- It is. We're not going into the bonus tracks, because at a certain point, I couldn't be arsed. We're not going into the bonus track, because at some point, we will die. I do love the drumming on this one when it gets to let go of the standard beat for a few spots. I will take that out there.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of, like, really subtle, like, cool drumming shit that happens on this record. And yeah, I get it. I I agree.
2: I can't tell if this is—and this is after going over the lyrics— if this is a divorce or breakup song, or if this is talking about the parents splitting up and, like, having that bond of trauma with one of the parents who's alone now. I can't tell I which. I think
1: I've read a quote, I think, when I was doing a bit of research, saying that this is a breakup song. Okay. Okay. There's like, I still like you, but we broke up and that's fine. Go and go and get it.
2: Yeah, it's it's perfectly okay. Uh, I think this is probably one of the better downer songs on the record. Maybe my favorite of those.
1: Fair. I mean, there are a lot of downer songs on the
2: record. (laughs) There are a lot of downer songs, but this is the one where the vibe just hits me the right way. It doesn't get into repetition They wrote a full song to justify the length. And again, the drums skip off their very repetitive beat in a few places. And it's nice.
1: Yeah. Bit of a wall of sound there with the guitar during some bits of the song. Good shit. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we move to the next song, which is All You Can Never Learn is What You Already Know. That That is visual. That is a light novel title.
2: Oh, right. I do have to mention, uh, fuck the spoken word bit in The Hero Dies in this one.
1: Which one is the spoken word bit?
2: There is a little chunk near the end where they just start speaking the lyrics and then they go back to singing. It's only two lines, but it's very irritating because it's like, why did you break that scansion? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's fine to break things up. And I mention that because since they unsealed that cork, I got an ad for Cornell West doing poetry before the next track. And for the first 15 seconds, I thought it was just where the album was going on the back half.
1: All you can ever learn is what you already know.
2: If this cut about thirty seconds, maybe the solo that just sort of sits there, this would probably be my second favorite sad song on the record. But it—it's got that drag ass syndrome.
1: It has a very pop punk guitar in this one. Like I say, that a lot of this doesn't really sound like pop punk. The guitar in this does sound very pop punky, but not in a bad way. This is again anime opening pop punk. I appreciate it. No,
2: this is an anime closer. Fair. Like, I really like it because this is... Oh, I hate that I'm going to use this as a point of comparison, but it works. There is a style of Heartland depression track that Billy Joel did very well in parts of his career, like No Man's Land. Uh, it's, it's basically just They've torn up the small town and they're making it into this same identical urban hellscape that is blotting and blighting the land. This has a lot of that. These satellites and shattered dreams are blocking out my view. Nothing really matters when we're gone. And just the stories of an abandoned factory with Christmas lights blinking out of time You want that dream of the nice house in the middle of America, but instead you've got trailer parks, neon signs, and an empty box of lucky strikes. This world sold its faith for parking lots and drunk sincerity. I, this song, if it was just a little bit quicker, probably one of my strongest solely for the lyrical content.
1: Yeah, and you see, this is is my version of that, because it's like,
2: that's that's a you problem, Americans. <laughs> it is. We have we have a lot more land than people, especially with all the body count right now. It's like, I get it, but also like, the, I've literally never experienced this. Like, small
1: towns in Italy suck. They're horrible. But they haven't really changed much in the last, like, fucking 20 years. Or even, like, in the last, like, 30, 40 years. Like, the small town is still very much the small town here. It's not nice. Like, I don't know why y'all, like, have the um, the fucking nostalgia for the small town. Small towns are garbage, are
2: awful. I live in one. I hate it. A very specific type of person has nostalgia for the small town. All right, you want to really hear me go off or do you want to stall a little longer?
1: So can I can I talk, can I talk about Boys of Summer from my
2: point oh, of yeah. view first I'm going to let you go first with the nice wholesome opening. Okay. Uh this is
1: fine. I don't like the original song much. Who's the the guy who made the song? Don Henley. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the original song. It's a very like standard sort of like synth pop mainstream song from like that year. Probably the 80s. Yep. Maybe late 70s? It's um, the 80s. Yeah. It's fine. It's completely unremarkable, sort of uninteresting. Now, taking that melody and the sort of tropes of a synth pop and just making it a straight rock song, they don't try to imitate the style, they just take the melody and cover it straight with rock instrumentation. It's a wonderful like break in the middle of the album. Especially in the middle of an album that was very same eternally, it adds a lot of just, like... It's just... it feels different from the rest of the album, and it gives a great break, and I think it sounds nice, and it's a pleasant song. I think it's fine, and it works wonderfully in the middle of an album, breaking it up a bit, where otherwise it would have maybe, at this point, been a slog. This gives us a great point of just... break, and it's also, like, a bit more upbeat. They actually performed the song way more upbeat than the original version, which is also, like, sort of a bit... sort of performed, sort of slowly, sort of sad. They actually, like, completely turned it on instead, and it's very... direct and positive in, like, the tone, the musical tone. And yeah, I think it works in the context of the album, and it's a pleasant song. Now you can destroy it, Sable, because
2: you hate nice things. No. I am going to get probably some of the most punk you're going to hear out of me in ages. And that I grew up with a local California artist named Mojo Nixon. Mm -hmm. He had some fame outside of our scene. You will probably know him. Uh, if you are not into a certain style of music as Toad in the super Mario brothers movie. Yes. That one. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> that's that's not a joke. That's probably no, one of no, the most public I, things I, he no. ever did, if you didn't know, know his musical career. And while I think there's a few tracks, he's kind of a novelty artist, but kind of just a folksy punk. Uh, I think that he's definitely recanted a little about talking about how Michael J. Fox was the anti-Elvis and some of the jokes he made before it came out that he had Parkinson's. But, again, the cosmology of Mojo Nixon is a thing. But there is a track of his that has stuck with me for 30 years now, which is just simply entitled Don Henley Must Die. And he held up that Don Henley and the Eagles were one of the single most poisonous acts in musical history because they were nothing but capitalism and nostalgia just straight up marketed to you in the smooth sort of way. There's a quote that gets me in talking about the history of gangster rap transitioning into the modern form where it became more palatable. And people would say, Biggie took horrendous things that he would discuss, but he would say them in a smooth R&B voice instead of being pissed off about them. And that brought them to a much more humble audience that was like oh i like the sound of this not listening to the content don henley was that but for horrendous shit and so the boys of summer has always been to me a track that is just an old man talking about how you don't know how good it was and it is a full-on Look into the 50s saying, why isn't it like this anymore? With extra fun lyrics like your brown skin shining in the sun. I will note, by the way, that we have in this version a very pale Asian woman running around in the video every time they're talking about that. So what the fuck? And even as a Californian, I hate everything about this because it is just, you know, it turns out nothing's as good as it was once. Meanwhile, every I will also say the change of a deadhead sticker on a Cadillac to a black flag sticker saying, oh, yeah, they're sellouts. No, they were always sellouts. It was a fucking Cadillac. That's the point. You don't have to drag someone else's name through the mud. There, I'm done.
1: No, OK, OK.
2: Do We want went to through the next song. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere Adam <laughs> is just wiping his brow going, phew, dodged a bullet somehow. <laughs>
1: Uh welcome to welcome to Sybil tells it like it is. A, a um, I don't know. I'm just imagining those dudes ranting in cars on YouTube.
2: <laughs> uh yes, I get it. Right now, I definitely have some guy who bought crypto screaming at an ape thief vibes. <laughs> I get it, but still. <laughs> I mean, you're not incorrect, but also like you know, I the boys of summer with a passion and while this is a perfectly fine cover it is a perfectly fine cover of one of the songs I most loathe fair
1: um, also the boys of summer could be the name of an NFT project <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong the, the next song is <laughs> the next song is radio number two You know, I like like this song better when it was uh, Jimmy towards your new aesthetic.
2: Yes. I I think this is a song that a lot of punk-adjacent bands do every once in a while, especially if you've struggled to come up over the years. But this is not the worst version of it.
1: No, it just doesn't really stand out in this album. This this last couple of tracks sort of like... I have literally no notes for the last three tracks. They sort of... And eventually, the, by this point, the record sort of beat you into submission, and being like, okay, this is the same song over and over. Uh, I, don't, I think this is fine. It's just like, I get it. Other people have done this song, and I feel other people have done the song um, with better music
2: on it. It's not the worst version of this song, which will always be R.E.M.'s radio song, but it's not the best. Your this
1: just reminds me that your new aesthetic is a fucking great song.
2: <laughs> it yeah, no. I again, I think if you changed a couple of lines I'd probably be kinder to this one, but Look Outside Your FM dial, they're preaching lies in four four time. Our generation without a voice is stripped of pride. Okay, man. You might you might have gone a little far on that one. We're talking about the fact that Rock Radio isn't Radio has always been pretty genericized. It's just that through the 2000s, you had a lot of shit fucked up because of Clinton. That's it.
1: Also, it's weird for, like, a punk band to complain about four, four times.
2: It's like, dude, you're not doing prog shit here. No, no, the the drummer kept sneezing on one track, and it was totally jazz-influenced. <laughs>
1: I don't know. I, I am fine with the song. I think that's... Um, so- The theming is fine, it's like, you need to, when you make rock, even if it's the most pop shit possible, I do appreciate when you're trying to still keep sort of an outsider aesthetic, even if it's like sort of fake, I think it adds to the thing, Mm. I think, it's, it's part of the whole rock thing, right? You need to have the outsider aesthetic, even if you're very much not an outsider, um, and I think it's fine, I just think that musically this doesn't really shine in the record like all of the other songs that come next. Like looking back at today. 30th of April. Seems like
0: yesterday But a house above the ocean where our kids good
2: Uh, this is another one of those, it definitely feels like, oh, Little Rich Boy, when I listen to it. Because, I'm going to be honest, I did not have a childhood, especially in the 90s, where I was calling you from Paris, or calling you from England, or calling you from Italy, or Japan. No, I, good God. Yeah, this dude apparently
1: traveled a lot. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He would have been around 20 in 1998. So, you know, again, we're not we're not at trotting band status yet. My dude has definitely come from a nice upbringing. I don't begrudge him that it's he doesn't seem to have come out of like apartheid money or any shit. But it's just one of those things that I don't have a nostalgia for traveling across Europe. I never had that phase. I
1: have literally lived in the UK for 10 years, and I could not, did never had the money to visit home during that time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, I wouldn't particularly have wanted to visit home. My home is not a nice place, uh, but, you know, even if I wanted to, like, it was I wasn't in traveling. I went to Finland once. Nice. I almost got, like, mugged
2: there. Oh, uh, let's go. Anyhow, I guess what I'm saying is I've never made out in a Parisian bathroom.
1: No, no. I mean, I never made out at all, but especially not in a Parisian bathroom.
2: That said, uh, this and the next track are both uh, incredibly okay musically. Yeah, they're fine. (laughs) They are completely fine. They are
1: just not the most stand out-ish things of the record. And the last track is uh, Eight of Nine. Hospital walls are the palest of
0: white Here in this desert They reside in my last rites The smell of these holes Brings temporary comfort As the oxygen flows through
2: I will also say, if you cut 8 of 9 and end it on looking back on today, just as solid a closer. Really? Okay. I think so. I think 8 of 9 is also a good closing track, but I don't know if any of them is strong. Too much water, 8 out of 9. Uh, There's a weird jolting transition at the start of the song, where it's like, it starts out in one key, and then just suddenly shifts mid-sentence into the rest of the actual song.
1: Yeah, this is fine. Like, I don't have a lot lot to say. It's weird that they end up on sort of a bitter song, like when half of all your prayers are insincere, the other half are lies. It feels a bit off tonally for this record, but,
2: you know. Also, it was definitely distracting in the back chunk of the song when they put the Half-Life Combine filter on the guy's voice. Fair. It is! <laughs> <laughs> what this moment of clarity, the this curse that has been cast upon me... <laughs> uh,
1: welcome to Gotta Get Out of this...
2: Got to get out of City Seventeen.
1: Yeah, we going to get out of City Seventeen. A Half-Life retrospective podcast, or I guess I was trying to make a joke about Half-Life Three, but it didn't, it didn't come out like like the game.
2: <laughs> yeah, and Half-Life Alex kind of was Half-Life Three.
1: I cannot VR. Neither could I. I mean, but like, but physically because I do not have a VR thing, but also like physically because one time when i tried it i literally felt sick
2: <laughs> gotcha that's no good mm-hmm.
1: question
0: if i died in my apartment like a rat in a cage would the neighbor smell the corpse
2: before the caddy my face i used to floss the albatross like daddy came with the chain i'm trying to jettison the ballast with the hazardous waste the kid is comfortably numb routine a tedious crutch
1: steep in a self-imposed stock home and lima and flux maybe an occupation popular with demons and Anyhow,
2: yeah, that's that is the close of So Long Astoria. I think it's a solid record, but I'm not going to throw it up as an all time great. I
1: think it's a really well-crafted record, I appreciate it, I think the high of the records are really high, like, my diary is really good shit, uh, and actually really hits me, like, because of personal shit, um, but it is very samey, and it's a record that's difficult to talk about track from track, because vibe-wise, this has excellent vibes, but it's not a song by song record, like it's not how it functions. It's sort of very samey and it has the same vibe and sort of the same song reiterated over and over with different lyrics, good lyrics. Um, and it works. I don't think that the sameness is a problem, but it's just very difficult to discuss it song by song. I think this is solid like 3.5 or 5 for me. This is like good shit. It's like very nostalgic, very teen-oriented, but with like the sort of look-back attitude, and gives it like a very wide appeal. And it definitely knows its audience, and it's definitely catering to its audience, but it's doing it with good craft and good music and good lyrics. So, you know, cannot fault it much for that.
2: I think you're right. This is this is three point five territory. There are flaws, but it's on the stronger end of the scale. I knew listening to it, it was going to be in the top half of my records we've covered for this show, but it didn't quite make it to I Gotta Go Buy a Copy of This Instantly, and I think it's a put-on-in-the-background-while-I'm-cleaning-up record more than a thing I will listen to regularly.
0: Same song, different chorus...
1: So, this was an episode. You can, as always, find us at getoutofthistown.com, our wonderful website. If you have a lot of nostalgia, you can use emails, this old technological medium from the two thousand, at getoutofthistownpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on the Twitter at G-G-O-O-T-T podcast. Please send us memes. You can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play. And if you're on iTunes, which I think now is called Apple Podcast, but we still call it iTunes, uh, leave a review. It's nice. You, you will do us a great favor if you leave a review. Reviews are good. We appreciate them. We love them. We eat them. Yeah, and uh, next up is AFI. And do you have anything to plug, Sybil?
2: You can find all of my projects linked and or described off of my website, hellscaper.com. And if you're mad at me for any of the opinions I had about various classical artists in this episode, feel free to hit me up at Bustrider on Twitter, where I will fight you. And you can as always find
1: me on Twitter at ACCTheMoon. And if you want to support us, we do not have a Patreon, but we're starting a side business selling Dark Souls merch, so please buy our new shirt, Solong Artorias.
0: What's on your mind? Not like I've
1: got the time to stick
0: around. I'll catch my flight Lake like a pop pumpkin. Get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down. Let's terrify.